we, we did a, the message focused on uh, the farmer who, who had this phenomenal uh, uh, crop one year, and he decided he was going to build bigger barns to accommodate for his extra wealth. And, and we looked at this, uh, we looked at this parable, and, and we actually looked at it in light of, of the game of Monopoly. I mean, obviously we look at it in light of God's word, but, but um, at, the end of, at the end of the story, the guy, the guy dies, right? And, and all of this extra wealth he had accumulated, all this extra, like, blessing, and this, like, this, this mindset that he had that now that I have money, I'm going to live comfortable and have anything I want. It's going to be awesome. And then he died. And he didn't have any of it. And so accumulating all this wealth and this stuff equaled up to nothing for him. Um, and it's a little like, like Monopoly, right? We, we all play Monopoly. And you come to the end of the game, and, and you've won, and you've got an empire in front of you with hotels and, and um, piles of, of colorful money, and, and it looks like Canadian money, sort of. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, and you have it all, and what happens at the end? You leave it there for a monument? No, you put it back in the box, and the game is over. And life is very much the same way. The, the man in the story ended his life wealthy, but he was poor for God. Um, this week we're gonna we're gonna kind of move into the second half of this discussion of, of what matters and how do you become rich toward God? If if having money and stuff and all the hotels and boardwalk and park place and a nice new car and you know a, a sixty-inch television and everything else, all that stuff is only wealth that you're gonna leave behind. What's what's this wealth that you take with you? Um, and and actually the well I actually had a slide for that. Jess isn't here to move them for me, so I'm kind of I'm gonna be behind. I'm just warning you. Um, being wealthy towards God, we're going to look at the book of Philippians. Um, this is in the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen. Um, and if we had started using the software I was going to use this week, it would be on your, your iPhone. But that'll be next week because I got busy. Um, <laughs> Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote from prison. He, he is in Rome at this point. He's been transported from, um, from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And... and He's gone through several iterations of adventure along the way, but, but now he's in Rome. He's awaiting trial before the emperor because he, he requested that. And, and he's going to sit before the emperor. He's going to plead his case. He's in prison. And this is actually toward the end of Paul's life. Um, not long after this, he, he um, has his head cut off. I mean, to put it very plainly. Um, and, and so Paul is writing this letter from prison, and, and he's not enjoying it. I, some people might enjoy prison. I'm guessing that, that not everybody does, and Paul definitely doesn't. Um, he's not finding prison fun. He's not found a lot of life fun, um, because he spent everything that he has preaching. Right? He's, he's left everything he had behind, and he's gone all over the world sharing the gospel with folks. And, and he's arrested for it repeatedly. He's tortured. He has all these like, like real challenges that he faces. And, and he just keeps going because he's got this one like, mindset. He says, well, whatever I have to do to share Christ with the world, that's what I'm going to do. And, and ultimately, he's in prison. He's chained to guards. Like, if you were a serious prisoner in this era, they would chain two guards to you so you couldn't get away. And, and you know, this was, he was considered a dangerous man. And, and he's chained to two guards. And in the first chapter of the letter, I recommend reading it, actually. It's a very good letter in general. Most of the Bible is pretty good. But, you know, <laughs> I like Philippians. Um, the first chapter, he talks about this. He says, listen, I'm, I'm tired of this. He's like, I'm longing to go to heaven. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, I'm ready to pull up stakes and leave. Actually, if you read the Greek colloquialism there, he talks about it, it presents this idea of pulling up stakes and going. Um, he says, you know, Jesus will be there. I'm going to heaven. This is what's going to happen. 
But the longer I live, the more I help you. The longer I live, the more people I bring to Christ. The longer I live, the more I serve him. Um, and actually, like we know that, that Paul, chained the guards day and night, preaches to them. That's all he does. He sits there and he tells them about Jesus just every day. And he ends up converting all the guards. <laughs> and so we sort of reach this point where, where Christianity in Rome, there was already a church there that Paul was trying to hook up with. Um, but, but these guards, a whole lot of these Roman guards, and eventually a whole bunch of Roman citizens became Christians because of Paul's imprisonment. And, and he cites that. He says, listen, I'm ready to go, but good stuff's happening. Right? It's awesome. And, and he, he's, he's tired. He's, you know, he's, he's ready to be done. Um, actually, he says um, the big famous line, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. So right now in living, he's sharing it, right? He's, he's telling people about Jesus. He's doing the work. Um, but ultimately, the big win for him is the end. You know, which is sort of out of our mindset. We live in a, you know, we, we live in a world where, where we're afraid of dying. I don't know any of you guys. I'm not really looking forward to it, right? But, but Paul has a completely different mindset. For Paul, this is, this is the waiting room for heaven, right? Like, this is, this is he's working, but, but it's not real life. Real life is coming. Um, and that's reflected in um, what we're going to be looking at. This is Philippians 2, verse 3. We're actually going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, but, uh, or not to the end of the chapter, so verse 11. But um, in Philippians 2, we find, uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So um, Paul is writing to this church, and they have this sort of challenge that's going on, where they've got some infighting, from folks who are like seeking after their own interests. And, and Paul comes along and he says, listen, don't do anything out of your own selfish ambition. Don't chase after your own thing. Um, it, it's, it's that we're to reflect Christ. This is verse 5. Um, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. So don't do anything out of self-interest. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Don't do all of these things. By the way, if we're looking at the barn story, right, where the guy says... How do I save all this wealth for later? That's self-interest, right? How do I get as much as I can have right now? That's self-interest. Um, this is the opposite. And actually, if we look at how God kind of keeps score in life, the stuff that really matters, the stuff that isn't going to go back in the box at the end, that when the game is over, right? It's, it's this. It's, it's, it's this selflessness is how God keeps score. And we see it in Christ. Um, 2.6, who, although he lived in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be a thing that, to be grasped. Now, what happens here is Paul does something um, kind of odd. He shifts. He's giving them directions, and they start writing out the lyrics to a song. Uh, like, it's hard to read it in the passage, but if you read it in the Greek, it, it suddenly is the lyrics to a song. And this is one of the earliest Christian hymns that Paul starts quoting. And, and you know, this idea here is he's in the form of God, he doesn't consider God to be um, equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. Well, that was really awkward sentence. Um, so when it says Jesus was in the form of God, right? All kinds of argument about this. People have said, well, does that mean he just looked like him, or he sort of resembled him, or people, you know, form. Um, a lot of times in English you'll read form, and they'll equate it with like sort of a Greek philosophy term, and they start getting really muddy water there. What he's talking about is. Um, that in his very essence, he was God, right? To the very core of who he was, he was God. Um, he, he was with God, he was God. Um, and, and because of that, he's worthy to be worshipped. 
if you, uh, we're not going to read it today, but if you flip back to the book of Job, um, the book of Job is a tough book where Job is this wealthy man who loses everything and then has a you know, discussion with God about it at the end. And, and the big theological theme of the book of Job is we worship God whether he gives us stuff or not, right? We worship God because he's God, not because he gives us stuff. You know, not because every day can be a Friday, not because we can have our best life now, not because, you know, if I pray hard enough and claim it, I'll get a new car, not because any of that stuff. We worship God because he's God. We worship God when life is crummy and when it's great. Why? Because he's God. Because he made everything. Because he made us. Um, and this is the spot Paul is in. Paul is in prison. He's been tortured a lot. Um, he's been poor a lot. He's been shipwrecked twice where he's out in the ocean, like, holding onto a board for three days and, and not sure if he's going to be drowned or eaten by sharks or something like that. And, and Paul turns around and he says, you know what? I'm happy with this stuff because I know Christ is all I need. Um, and why? Because even when things are crummy, Jesus is worthy of worship. Um, and so the, the song starts out, look, Jesus was God. He's worthy of worship. And he, because he's God, um, he doesn't consider a thing to be grasped or stolen or taken hold of. It's, it's the different translations handle this in different ways because what it ought to say, like it was going to paraphrase it, what it would say is, he didn't consider equality with God um, something to be stolen or like taken, like I, something to strive after, right? I strive after having Arnold Schwarzenegger's physique when he was young, not now. Um, I, I strive after being rich, right? I strive after winning the lottery eventually. I strive after, these are things I want because I want them, right? That's not how Jesus saw equality with God. Now, mind you, this is a big deal because it's the opposite of the first sin. What did Adam want? Or what did, I guess it would be, what did Adam and Eve, what were they promised by the snake? If you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. Think about how great that would be. And they were literally reaching for something that didn't belong to them. They were trying to steal something that wasn't theirs. And, and ultimately, they get cheated, and it, it all screws up, right? Like, it's a complete failure for them. Um, Jesus takes the opposite stance. He doesn't desire to be God. He is God. He doesn't desire to grab that spot of worship. He's there anyway. Um, the passage goes on and talks about... Um, I'm going to jump back here. Oh, um, he doesn't consider the omission. This is Adam's original sin. Um, Philippians 2, 7. But, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. Now, he emptied himself. There are other spots where it talks about him pouring himself out. Right? There's a common phrase for like giving of your own life or giving yourself up. Um, and there's sort of a double play here, right? Part of it is pointing toward like his eventual crucifixion when he poured his life out for us. But part of it is that he empties himself um, of his own interests or his power. Um, he becomes of no significance. This is another one of those, I think it's Isaiah 52, if you want to go back and read it. He goes from being the creator of the universe. By him all things are created. Like, the sun rises in his command. Everything is all about him. To warn a barn, right? Um, to pour his dirt. To homeless for a length of time. To, to eventually crucify him. Um, he, he literally gives up everything and takes on the form of a bondservant. The other phrase there would be slave, right? And mind you, the Greek word here, right, the form, is the same one that he uses in reference to God, right? So in his very essence, he was God. In his very essence, he becomes a slave. He gives up this position of, like, awesomeness in exchange for this. 
and becomes in the likeness of man. Um, this is another one that sort of created a lot of like discussion. He literally became a man. He was still God, but he also was a man, right? He was the infinite and the finite. Like God who created everything became a created thing, like or took up presence in this created thing. Um, now I'm going to hit pause here, and we're going to draw some contrast, okay? Anybody watch American Idol? Nobody's going to admit it, I know. Because <laughs> it's not good, right? But in the earlier seasons, before it became even worse, everybody would watch the first five episodes, right? Because it's the only thing worth watching. And you would get these people who would stand up, and they would be there, and they'd be ready to sing, and it sounded like a cat in, in the garbage disposal. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> or, that was awful. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, my, my favorite was, uh, was uh, William Hung. Anybody who like, like, watches the internet knew this guy. He was, he was, he was bad. <laughs> but he was completely convinced that if he believed himself, and he could sing and make, you know, make albums. He actually eventually did. But most of those people, like, they're terrible, and they believe they're great, and they believe they deserve this stuff, and they reach for this, you know, brass ring. I want to be an idol, right? I want people to worship and recognize me. Um, it's kind of that bigger Barnes thing, right? I'm cashing it all in right now. Everybody look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of worship. Our culture surrounds this, right? Um, we almost actually, I was, I've been reading recently about celebrity culture where like every teenager has a, has a Twitter. I, maybe they don't. I don't know. I but it talks about like this, you know, people post the most ridiculous things about themselves because they want the world to pay attention to them. Because we've come to believe that pay attention to me is the most important thing in the world. My recognition, everybody look at me. It's all the fallback of Adam's original sin. Um, but Jesus takes the opposite attitude. He steps away from the world and he says, I don't need what you guys need. I'm going to take the lowest spot. Um, being found in appearance as a man, this is verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, now, in this culture, again, in the ancient world, crucifixion, worst thing that could happen to you, right? I mean, absolutely the worst thing. First off, it was incredibly painful, right? And it didn't just happen. I mean, like, Jesus was on the cross for about six hours. That was a very, very short crucifixion. The average crucifixion lasted several days. And they hung you low so animals could eat you while you were hanging there. And, you know, like you were naked, so you were humiliated in public. Like, like I mean, it was bad. Crucifixion, very bad. Right? And so, like, the fact that he was crucified at all, again, creator of the universe, through him all things came into existence, worthy of worship just because of who he is, like, steps down into our level and then steps lower and is humiliated beyond words. This is the standard, right? How does God keep score? Well, this is the best thing. Um, for a Jew, by the way, for a Hebrew or a Jewish person, um, there's a line in the Old Testament that says, uh, Cursed is any man who's killed by being hung from a tree. It was believed that it was a sign that God hated you if you were crucified. Right? It was actually also a reference to Saul, who God really didn't like very much toward the end. And Saul ends up impaled and like hanging up in the air on spear. It's kind of gross. Um, somebody is here to pick you up. I don't know. Who's <laughs> but they're in a hurry. Um, <laughs> um, and so, um, whoever that is, if you can do that, I'm sorry. It's distracting me now. I'm done. Um, um, this, this death on the cross that Jesus suffers isn't just a death. It's not just a humiliation. 
but it's a death and a humiliation in a way that signified God's contempt for him. Um, that's what the Jews believed, and they looked at him, and that's what they saw. Like, so when God calls us to something, and he calls us to keep score in life, it's not about my comfort, it's not about my wealth, it's not about what I can have. It's about living in humility with our care and concern for others. Well, how did that fit in? Well, Jesus' death, it was, it was for Carrie. It was for Jimmy. It was for Daniel, and it was for Michael, and it was for me. It was for all of us who were sinners, right? He gave everything he had everything he had for us to take away our sins. He literally took his punishment um, in our place. Like it says that all of God's wrath was poured out on him at the cross. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. That's love someone else more than you love yourself. Right? Um, it's taking a position that, that um, is utterly selfless. There's no self-interest in it. And it's God's love for us. It's the highest attainable thing that we can have in our lives. Not that we would die for one another, right? But that we would live for one another in a way that says, there you are, and I'm here for you, right? Not, everybody look at me, or how do I get what I want? The way God keeps scoring, like, ultimately, the way that things pile up, like how we become rich toward God, right? Is we look at other people and we say, TJ drives me nuts someday, some days. <laughs> And I know a lot of people have said that. His mom is nodding emphatically. <laughs> <laughs> but God loves TJ, right? God created TJ special and eternal. He will live forever and ever, and I, I need to love him the way God loves him. This is the thing worth attaining. This is the life worth living. Um, when we talk about this, like, you know, how do you win in life, it's not really winning in the end, right? But it's becoming wealthy toward God. Um, 9 to 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed him uh, on him the name which is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, so that those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Even as people curse him, even as people rebel against him, even as people deny his existence, there will come a day when everything in creation will bow down to him when all worship, when all things will point toward him. Um, God honors Christ because Christ redeemed the creation. Um, and we're called to emulate that. That's where Paul starts, right? Paul starts with, repeat this attitude, right? Live your life like this. This is how your heart should be. Love the people around you. Love them to the point that it hurts. Love them more than you love yourself. <coughs> it's not about you. It's about them. That's how Paul was living as he, as he sat in prison. Um, this is the opposite attitude of the guys with the bigger barns, right? So, like, as we live our lives and we look around, and, and how many of y'all watch TV? Anybody? Am I the only one who owns a TV? <laughs> it's a recent invention. Um, <laughs> TV tells you you deserve it, right? And you deserve a break today. What is that? Snickers, right? No, it's Snickers, is it? Or is it? Is it McDonald's? I don't know. It's one of those. It is Kit Kat. You're right. Um, now we're arguing about who. You know, or, or, you know, you deserve this. You should have it. Um, you, even if you can't afford it, shouldn't you have it, right? You, you should find a way to get it. Um, this is the opposite of our culture. The guy with the most toys puts them in the box at the end, right? Like, 
they still die. You guys, that's, that was a bumper sticker, a European bumper sticker. You guys are the most choice wins. Not really. He dies emulating Christ, um, saved by his grace, loving the people around him for all he's worth. That's the guy who wins because he gets a prize greater than anything he could possibly earn in this life. And it's a prize that lasts forever. Um, Paul talks about it like a race, right? We run a race to win. You know, and run your race, live your life in such a way that you get a crown that lasts forever, not a prize, a trophy that you end up selling off at a garage sale or that your kids throw in the dumpster um, when they're cleaning your house up at the end. Like, like the life we live, we live for Christ because that lasts. Um, this is not something we can accomplish on our own, right? I can try and 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 try, but ultimately I've got sin in me, right? Anybody here not simple? Let me just check in. Okay. No smart Alec making a joke. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all, our, all of us are like steeped in sin, and that sin prevents us from accomplishing it on our own. I can try for all I'm worth, and I might clean up little bits of that mess, right? I might manage to love unlovable people, like Michael. I wanted to pick on you today. I had to come around and do it. Um, <laughs> I might manage to love Michael really, really well by my own effort, right? But there are going to be other less lovable people, like Rob. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there are less lovable people that ultimately, I might even be able to hold all that weight up for a little while, but my sinful nature is always going to find a way to screw that up. Or the sinful nature will find a way to make it about me, because I'll be like, look at how good I'm doing loving Ross. See how awesome that is? I'm sure Rose thinks that every morning. <laughs> we... The Holy Spirit changes our hearts in such a way as where we're capable of loving. Right? How do we accomplish that then? Read your Bible. Worship God. Submit your life to Christ. Make Him greater than you are. Put Him on the throne in the middle of your life, um, and everything else changes. Right? That's how we change. The Holy Spirit moves in our lives and changes us. Um, and it's an everyday thing. Right? I get up in the morning. I belong to Jesus. This is how I'm going to live. I belong to Jesus. My heart belongs to Him. I belong to Jesus. I am a crummy guy who is saved by grace. Everybody around me, I need to help them out as much as possible, right? Because Christ died for them too. They just don't know him yet. So if you do. Um, my challenge for you this week is to is to look at your heart and say, you know, where am I at on this? What's my attitude? Is it all about me? Is it all about my next vacation? My next car? Is it all about the discomfort I'm feeling today and how it's not fair? Is it all about the hardship I've got falling on me and how I want something different right now? Or is it about submitting to God's will in our lives? Is it about loving Him through difficulty? Is it about changing from the inside out? We're going to uh, close with a final song. And uh, I'm going to finish with a, with a, a blessing after the song. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts and souls. Help us to live our lives in such a way that you, Lord, are greater than us. That, that we love others and emulate our love, Christ's love.